voices will be heard saying it's done. The Lord wants to awaken a groan again. What it's rooted in is a fascination. Like imagine you have one opportunity to ask him questions. If you consider the heavens, the glory, the power, the wonder. If you consider it all, it's a speck in comparison to what lives in you. Because the one that spawned it looked at you and said, I want you to be my everlasting habitation. I do want to encourage you. I, uh, I have. I, I've, I've preached for years. Been uh, full-time ministry since 2000. The year 2000, me and my family moved to Kansas City to join the International House of Prayer. And uh, come on, somebody. And uh, we spent 18 years there. And then three years ago, the Lord moved us here to Dallas to join the Upper Room team. And uh, we're just laboring. And for years, I've been preaching, and I love it. It's a part of it. But I, I began to burn saying, God, I want to go to the next level of discipleship. I love what happens in the altar times, but can we go on a journey? I want to go deeper with people is the cry. And that's what really birthed. I was asking the Lord to teach me to pray in 2017. And he said, I want you to take the things that you've learned over the last 17 years, and I want you to teach the next generation how to pray. And, and teach through boredom, teach through shame, breakthrough, how to labor when there's a brass heavens over you and how to stay in the place of prayer. And uh, so that's what birthed Corey Russell online. I would encourage you to jump in. It will bless you. And then uh, we've got many people here that are part of it. And then we've got a couple of books I brought with me. I brought a book called Teach Us to Pray, Prayer That Accesses Heaven, and then a book called Gift of Tears. And uh, I believe God's taking us to prayer on the other side of words. Go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 132. Psalm 132, that's why I'm here. I think it was the first, I think we met at Upper Room first. I don't know. I don't know it was his first watcher. But I, I heard him start bleeding Psalm 132 out of him. And, and I didn't, and as soon as he started that, my heart exploded. I fell in love with William that day. I did. I fell in love with him, and I said, whatever you're about is what I want to be about. Because it was Psalm 132 that's always been a, uh, it's always been a life passage. If you're in the prayer movement or around prayer, it's always kind of around the top ones. You got Psalm 27, Psalm 132. You got several Psalms that really encapsulate the life and the vow and the heart of David. And this is like nowhere else right here. But it was really after I, I, we experienced a great tragedy of loss of our son in 2013, and I would say Psalm 132, the Lord began to release over a five-year period five psalms that helped navigate my heart out of the tragedy and into the next season that the Lord had for us. And I would say Psalm 132 delivered me from just having a nice itinerant ministry in America. Psalm 132 delivered me from a nice earthly ministry that was fruitful and blessed and a lot of good things and a lot of fiery anointed times together. And it began to shift me into thinking legacy. And it began to shift me into thinking generationally. And began to get me to think in a different way that I was on earth for a brief moment to live a life that would still attract God's presence and favor a hundred years after I die. Let 
Many people believe that it was Solomon who wrote Psalm 132. You'll see a phrase of it at the dedication of the temple in 2 Chronicles 6 when Solomon is dedicating the temple and is the wisest man in the world. He is going to hitch his wagon to his dad's life and he's gonna say, Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. And as soon as Solomon brought before the Lord David's life, fire fell from heaven. That's really the value of someone's life is that when God hears their name after you die, fire comes from heaven. We're always called to remember God. All through scripture, we're called to put him in remembrance and remember him and feed on him. But do you know God remembers men? Do you know God remembers the choices of weak and broken men and women and a choice to be wholly his? Do you know that? Do you know the value of your brief stint here on earth? Your few blinks, your few sleeps, and they have the ability to impact God forever. See, I got a vision for little Bobby Russell in 2120, my great-great-great-grandson, to walk in realities that he didn't even know about and him to have a sense that he's connected to a generational line, three, four generations down the line, and he hitches his wagon to the wisdom of my life and in 2120, the fire of God falls upon my grandchildren. See, God's delivering us. This is so deep, so profound. I don't even know how to talk about it. I just want to punch something. <laughs> this one's the one. <laughs> I ain't going to punch anything, I promise. Maybe dig a little bit, but no, no. So... Anyway, I, I just, this wrecked me and it shifted me. Psalm 132 shifted my Christianity from what's my dream and how's Jesus gonna fulfill my dream. It shifted it from what Jesus can do for me and I love everything Jesus does for us. I love forgiveness of sins. I love healing of my body. I love deliverance of oppression. I love financial blessing. I love blessing in my relationships, blessing in my family. I love everything that I get in Christ. You're never gonna exhaust that, but Psalm 132 said yes, but what about his dreams? What about his longings? What about the things that he's deeply desiring and passionate about? And I feel like most Christians have just stopped over what we get from him and we've never entered into the ancient longing to give him something that he wants. The power of the gospel is to free you from you so you can get lost in him. If you were to cut God open, and he was cut on the cross, but if you were to cut God and, and ask this question, what is the deepest longing in the heart of God? What do you think it is? I would say, as I read Genesis to Revelation ending with the passage that William hit, I would say that the deepest longing in the heart of God is to fully dwell 
on the earth with his people. That's what God called good in the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2. Where him and Adam walked in no shame intimacy. No shame vulnerability. And out of the overflow of intimacy, man ruled over the earth. And the journey from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20 is God's plan of redemption. Because the Bible ends with a city descending out of heaven whose name is called the bride, and it says God tabernacles amongst them. And it says God will be their God and they will be his people. And then it says that God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There is coming a day where God himself will be so close, he will personally address the pain of this fallen world. That's why God hates divorce. It's the separation. It's the, it's the pain of the own divorce between heaven and earth. That which has been secured in Christ at the cross. He secured it, but there's still a groan in creation. There's still a groan in creation that, that what was secured at the cross would be openly manifest in real time. Where heaven would descend back to the earth and where the two would become one. The two would become one. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, he says that in the fullness of times, he's going to gather everything in heaven and everything on earth together. <sighs> that until consummation happens, you're gonna have a deep, inarticulable groan on the inside of you. No matter how awesome it is, there will always be a cry, there is more. Because the more is the Spirit of God that's crying out in the bride, come Lord Jesus. That's the deepest longing in the heart of God. Few people in history have touched it. Because most people just can't get past, and I never get past as far as the revelation. It says in Ephesians 2.7 that, that in the ages to come, He's gonna show the exceeding riches of his kindness, which means you and I will still be pinching ourselves in a billion years, saying, how did we get in here? You're never gonna get over his kindness. But I tell you this, he's delivering a generation from narcissism. He's delivering a generation from a, listen, I want you to hear me, from a humanistic gospel where Jesus is your professional butler that wants to do all the stuff for you, and where you never graduate past the same cycles of sin, the same addictions, the same places that you live, and you just live forgiveness to forgiveness to forgiveness, and you never enter in to the deep things of his heart. And it's not here to shame you, it's here to say you were made for something so much more. And it's liberation from yourself and being lost into the dream of God. What does God want? What does God want? He wants to get closer. Very few in history have touched it. Even fewer have thrown their life into the gap to see the fullness of God's dream 
manifested in their generation. David is one of the rare few. That's why we're gonna talk about David, Jesus' grandfather tonight. I believe Psalm 132 is why Jesus will forever be called the son of David. Let that sink in. Son of David, have mercy on me. Why? Because David touched the primal ache in God. He touched the deepest longing in God. And God made one of the most extravagant transactions with a man in all of Scripture because David wanted God's dream in his generation. Let's read Psalm 132. I believe it's Solomon who, who wrote this psalm. It says, Lord, remember David, all his afflictions. Do you know there's parts of the heart of God that awaken the rage of Satan? There's dreams in God. When you touch the dream of God, I've found the devil will let us do a lot. But if you want to awaken war, touch the deepest thing that belongs to God the deepest things about God, and it will awaken the rage of Satan. Things like God's heart for Israel. Things like God's longing to dwell on the earth. Things like bringing the first commandment to first place. All his afflictions. And this is why he had the afflictions. He he swore something to God and he vowed something to God. It says how he swore to the Lord and he vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until, I love that. I love the untils of scripture. Until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. And then David adds this, we heard of it in Ephrathah, which is Bethlehem, which means David caught the vision in his early days. David heard the stories of the presence of God in the midst of the people when in his teenage years in Bethlehem, he heard the stories, but then he says, we found it in the fields of the woods. So we, he heard the stories about the glory of God with Moses, the glory of God, with the people of God. But then the first thing he did as a king was went to go find the ark and he found it in the fields of the woods. And that's what he brought up to Jerusalem and he put it in the tabernacle. Let's read one more verse in Psalm 132. Verse 13, the Lord has chosen Zion he has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell. Why, God? For I have desired it. I, I do want you to understand that the ultimate longing of God is to dwell on the earth in a specific plot of land on the earth. You need to understand that. There is a specific plot of land that he is going to dwell in, and it's going to be in Jerusalem. Jesus is going to return, and he's going to make Jerusalem his oval office from where he will rule the nations of the earth. So there, that is going to happen. Why? Because he's desired it. 
He wants to live there, and he can live wherever he wants to. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The inhabitants and those who dwell therein. See, God's even reconnecting the church in this hour. He is delivering the Gentile church from an us for and me no more, nice little life, getting a little richer and more comfortable. He's, he's breaking off blindness and arrogance off Gentiles in this hour. And he's awakening us to his covenants with Abraham and David and the promises made to the fathers. Romans eleven twenty five. 25, he says that blindness has, in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. I need you to understand that he's coming back and he's gonna dwell in a specific plot of land and we're in the hour of the fullness of the Gentiles coming forth. We are in the hour, I believe we're at the end of it. I believe that it's a fullness of number in the nations. I believe it's, we're moving into fullness of maturity. We got a long way to go with that, but pressure and glory will get us there quicker. He'll just turn up the heat of both the pressure and the glory, and he can do some real quick stuff in a matter of five and 10 years that what took other generations 50 and 100. So I need you to understand the pressure's going to intensify and the presence is going to intensify. And that is going to bring forth fullness of maturity. We're gonna come out of selfishness. Fullness of love. We're gonna enter into the love of Christ. Fullness of unity. That they would be one Father as you and me are one, that they would be one in us. Fullness of unity. The fullness of the stature of the Godhead, the fullness of the knowledge of the Son of God. Fullness is coming. There is more, and the church is going to grow up. And at the center of this shift that's happening in the, I just want to say, can I just talk to y'all? So I feel several things going on. I spent 18 years in Kansas City and my spiritual father, Mike Bickle, was in Cairo, Egypt in 1982. And he was doing an around the world tour to some of the poorest places in the earth to get God's heart for the poor. And he was in a hotel one night and the fear of the Lord filled his prayer time. And he says he's never felt the fear of the Lord like this in his whole life. And the Lord thundered a phrase to him. The Lord says, I will change the understanding and expression of Christianity in the whole earth in one generation. I wanna say that again. The Lord says, I will, which means sovereign, God is going to see to something. I will change the understanding, which means the understanding from the outside world, that the lost would begin to see the church differently. And in the expression, which means we would begin to function differently together. So that there would be an outward manifestation, but an inward revelation that would, trend, that would change us. The change of the understanding and expression of Christianity in the whole earth in one generation. 
The Lord began to talk to him about heart standards like intercession is coming back to the church. Holiness is coming back to the church. Offerings, extravagant giving is coming back to the church. And the prophetic is coming back to the church. The pure, true prophetic. I, I wanna say it to you, I believe we're in the middle of a great reformation right now. I believe that the church is in the midst of a great reformation. I believe 2020 was a global reset. I believe it was a global reset button that the Holy Spirit pushed and we are seeing a new people arise. I believe that which worked in the last decade is slowly dying and will continue to die. It will not be old tricks and old schemes and ways it used to work in the last season that's going to carry us into the next season. It's going to be a new people with a new revelation and a new priority about putting God at the center. We're in the middle of a reformation. This is going to be very intense and very freeing and glorious. What is the shift? I'm leaving this many dynamics, but I believe at the heart of it is the Psalm 132 vow. It's a generation that begins to connect the dots that we're, the church isn't here first and foremost for you or for people or for the lost or for the broken, that our first and foremost ministry and calling and assignment is to God. That he is the forgotten ministry in the church. God is the forgotten ministry in the church. I believe the days of Sunday only Christianity are over. That preaches nice. I believe that Jesus did not die for 45 minutes and 20 bucks so we can live the other six days and 23 hours of our weeks disconnected from God. I don't believe church is a slice of your weekly pie. I believe that he's reorienting the people of God because we're moving into more intensifying days and a once a week experience is not enough to navigate coming glory in crisis. We need histories with communities of prayer, fasting. I believe it's breakthrough here and breakthrough here. Prayer rooms and dinner tables. I don't know how David got it or when he got it, but he got it. And I believe he got it when he was young. Because when the kingdom was stripped from King Saul, he goes, I want you to know, you wouldn't wait. You were compelled by people. And that when they were leaving, you had to quickly make a sacrifice to keep people close. It was about control and manipulation for Saul. It was about keeping them close and preserving his influence and his power. And when the kingdom's being stripped from Saul, the Lord says, oh, you messed this up. Israel wanted a king. I gave them a king after their own heart. 
but I want you to know that I found a man after my own heart. I found a man after my own heart. Saul was made after their hearts. David was made after God's heart. I have found a man after my own heart. He's after me. David touched it. David touched it, and he was anointed in the midst of his brothers. Why didn't God do it on the backside? Because he wanted to do it in the midst of the brothers, which would release the afflictions. First affliction, jealousy at home. The first visible anointing on David was now with the spirit on David. The spirit left Saul, and now a distressing spirit is upon Saul. And the report goes out, who can play the anointed guitar or harp that could come and play before Saul and the demons would leave? And the first visible anointing on David was that when Saul was under the oppressive spirit, David would begin to prophesy on his harp. He would begin to play on his harp and the spirit of prophecy would break the spirit of insanity off of Saul. I believe with all my heart God is placing prophetic singers and musicians at the forefront of this army. Of this next move of God, the spirit of the tabernacle of David is prophetic singers and musicians. Where are you at, singers and musicians? You're not salt on the meal. You're not getting us ready for the real stuff. I believe God's establishing rooms where demonized will come into and get set in their right minds. I believe God's establishing rooms to where those dealing with bipolar and different situations will be set into alignment, where cancers will leave bodies, where the oppressed will be delivered. I believe that the, I'm grateful for all. I've received all kinds of prayer and inner healing and all the stuff. I love it all. But I'm telling you, there is a, there is an, there's a secret of God that I believe is going to expedite healing at the heart level. And that's going to be anointed prayer rooms where singers, listen, are singing love songs over them, are singing love songs to Jesus over their hearts. Zephaniah 3 it says that Jesus is going to do this to the remnant of Israel who survived the Antichrist. It says that he will rejoice over them with singing and he will quiet them in his love. He's gonna quiet trauma. He's gonna quiet storms. He's gonna quiet fragmentation of the soul and bring it back together by the power of the love of God. And he's gonna use singing. Singing unites the inner man. Singing writes theology on your spirit. Singing is praying twice. I've got most of y'all for little 30 second increments during tonight's message, during worship, all of us were in unity singing. The next door that opens for David 
There's, there's, he's bringing food to his brothers. And as he's walking off, he hears this giant defying the armies of the living God, and David goes, no, no. Who is he? Which connects us to David's history before we ever met him. Everybody wants to be manifested. Everybody wants to be revealed, but nobody wants hidden years where no one knows your name and you don't care about it and you get so lost before the audience of one. You get such a great revelation of God, a nine-foot giant is small compared to the promises of God. That gives you insight into David's theology. Where'd you get that? I've been looking at Yahweh. I've been looking at him. I've been meditating on him. Dad stuck me out there, and he didn't know. I turned it into my prayer room. And I love him. He said, oh, the brother said, you little punk, get back home. He goes, no. Heck no, ain't going anywhere. And I love it. He says, God gave me breakthrough from the lion and from the bear. I know he'll give me this giant's head. Which means this, David was getting breakthrough in the secret place that prepared him for the public place. Some of you are getting your breakthrough through your lions and your bears. You're walking in freedom from pornography and never looking back. You're getting breakthrough from those cycles of anger and fear and shame and rejection and competition and envy and God's working things in your inner man. Keep walking out this season in the secret place, in the hidden place, working these things out. Quit looking for a stage. Get lost on the stage that you already have. Matter of fact, I think those days are over. You know what happens, he kills the Goliath, he kills the giant, and he gets a million followers on Instagram overnight. <laughs> and Saul began to compare his Instagram following to David's Instagram following, and it got weird. It got weird. His heights, God gave him full manifestation around 18, 19 years old. In front of the whole nation, they're singing their song. Saul has killed his, th his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And what began with on the backsides of the hills to playing anointed music to killing a, the giant, all of a sudden, jealousy now enters into the storyline. Envy enters into the storyline. Anger enters into the storyline. Murder enters into the storyline. And where for the next 10 years, it will go from the heights to the next step in his seminary, which is being hunted by his demonized father-in-law in a geographically small area by 3,000 trained Navy SEAL soldiers. That's where the Psalms get written where you're hiding in caves and you're gathering 400 jacked up people around with you. God kept delivering David, kept delivering David, kept delivering David. And when David had opportunity to take Saul out, what'd he do? He wouldn't touch the Lord's anointed. 
He says, uh-uh, I know the kingdom's mine. David knew. He was anointed by Samuel. This thing is mine, but I will not step in and make this happen on my own strength. I will not. Though he knew, he refused. And he says, God, this is in your hands. How you set it up, I'm going to honor who you honor. I'm going to esteem who you esteem. And he would not touch Saul when he had opportunity twice. He kept getting hunted, kept getting hunted. Went over into the Philistine camp for a year and a half. Worked on the other side, worked as a double agent. Found out in 1 Samuel 30 that there was a war and they wouldn't let him fight against Israel, so he went back home to Ziklag. And when he went back home, he found that this army of Amalekites had burned the city. And they had taken his wives, his children, and all the other people's wives and children with them. And it says that they began to weep so loud and so hard, they had no more strength to weep anymore. And then it went from them weeping together to them looking at him saying, why am I following you? And look what following you has done to my life. And now they want to stone him. But there's this verse in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. That was more than a good quiet time. I believe he pulled heaven down. The next chapter, Saul would die. David, at 30 years old, would become king over Judah. And then seven years later, would become king over all of Israel from Jerusalem. We know the story. First thing he does is go find the ark. They tried to bring it up on a new cart, and we found quickly it didn't work when they hit that rock. The threshing floor, it was about to fall. Uzzah tried to stop it. He died. And then David discerned from God how to bring the ark up, and what David did is he built a tabernacle for the ark. Stick with me here, guys. He built a tabernacle for the ark. He put the ark. See, in Moses' tabernacle, you had, the, you had these three stations of how you come in, and the high priest would only go in once a year. David removed all the veils. And he says, this is what God showed me. I'm going to put the singers around the glory and the musicians around the glory. I'm going to pay all their bills, and they're going to do 24 hours. Every hour, they're going to do a new shift. Thousands of uh, musicians, hundreds of singers would rotate, and David took his own governmental finances to pay and to employ them to do it. And the tabernacle of David went on for 33 years. What did David understand? We were singing it earlier, Psalm 22. God is enthroned in the praises of his people. See, this is what David understood about government. See, God's awakening prayer and worship across the earth, not we, so we can have less boring worship times and prayer rooms. This is about the restoration of kingdom and government on the earth. This is how God governs. This is how God rules in the earth. It's through the power of prophetic singers, musicians, and intercessors releasing the will of God into our cities, into our regions, into our nations. 
And David understood, I'm going to build on the earth that which I see in heaven, and this will become a convergence point between heaven and earth so that the fame of God would break out. And it was during the days of David that God routed out all their enemies. He removed all their enemies, and the fame of God came on the nation. But that's not what I want to talk to you about tonight. Turn with me to 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7. So David's 37 years old. He's gone through 20 years of hell. He's finally become king over all of Israel. He's united the whole nation. And this is what separates David from everybody else. 2 Samuel 7 verse 1. So he's got the tabernacle going on in his backyard. Think about that. You look out your window at 3 a.m. There's singers and musicians out there. David would go in to the tabernacle and we'd have visions when he'd get before the ark. Do you know David is a prophet? Do you know David saw the crucifixion of Messiah? Do you know he saw the resurrection of Messiah? Do you know that he saw Jesus' triumphal entry when he returns? And when we sing that, open up you gates, be lifted up you everlasting doors, that's Jesus entering in as Israel's Messiah when he delivers them from the Antichrist and when he returns to establish his kingdom on the earth. David saw the millennial Jerusalem Psalm 48, beautiful in elevation, the glory of the whole earth. David would go into there and he would have visions. See, this is about the restoration of prophetic. See, that it will never be said again that the prophetic and prayer will ever be divorced ever again. God is so uniting prophetic and prayer together. It's not going to be fortune cooking prophecies. We're not just going to hear the secrets of men's hearts. He's going to tell us the secrets of God's heart. So here we are, 2 Samuel 7, verse 1. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house. I love that. And the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies all around. The natural next verse would be, David got excited that God had fulfilled his calling and he started a, and, he, and he leaned back and bought a whole bunch of things to enjoy the pleasures of his kingly life for the next 40 years because he went through so much turmoil to get into his destiny. See, this is how you know David is different because he stepped into destiny yet there was something else moving on the inside of David. David. He told the prophet Nathan, he says, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. David goes, why is my house nicer than God's? Why is my house nicer than God's? Nathan said, king, go do all that's in your heart. Verse four, but it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, 
It reads, would you build a house for me to dwell in? A lot of you, if you can just read that, it might feel kind of sterile. But I feel a lot of emotion when I read that verse. Instead, I remember one of the times I was reading this in 2013, and, I, and it said, would you build a house for me to dwell in? And I could hear the Lord saying it like this, you mean you would build a house for me to dwell in? This is in your heart? You want to do this for me? Look at how he follows this up. I haven't dwelt in a house since the time I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt even to this day, but I've moved about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever, listen, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? He says, I have never asked anyone. I've never articulated this to anyone through all of history, through the wilderness, through all the tribes of Israel. I've never asked anybody to build me a house. In essence, it's the Lord saying, where'd you get this? Where'd this come into your mind? What made you think of this? See, I believe, David, you ever, you ever fallen in love and you know deep things in, in, in your, that one that you love's heart even when they don't even say it? See, I believe David got so lost in the heart of God and in such a prophetic spirit, he knew what was in God's heart and he wanted God to have a fixed place on the earth. He saw the coming day that the temple himself, Jesus, would come and that the church would come, but ultimately the new Jerusalem would come. And David saw it, and he wanted to give God as much of that revelation in his generation. He wanted to give God a place. Look at how God follows that up. He says, I want you to go tell David, I've been with you since you were from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people. I have been with you wherever you've gone. I've cut off all your enemies. I've given you a great name. Number one, David, I've been with you since you were a little boy, and I'm going to bring you all the way through. Number two, I'm going to appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, that they may dwell in the place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore. I'm going to plant Israel. Get your seatbelt on. He says, I'm going to give Israel their place. I have commanded judges to be over my people Israel, caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, everybody say also. Here's the third thing that the Lord told me to tell you, David. You want to build him a house? You want him to have a house? The Lord tells you he's going to make you a house. The Lord's flipping the tables on you, David. And I could just hear the Lord saying, you know, Jacob, when he was prophesying to his boys, told them that the scepter is going to come out of Judah. He said that the lion's wealth, the scepter will not depart from Judah. He says, I've been waiting for this king that would come from Judah's line. 
that would be the man and the heart by which Messiah would come and through the lineage that the Messiah would come and sit on that throne. David, because this is in your heart to give me and to build me a house on the earth, I want you to know that my son is going to become your son. And your house and your throne and your kingdom will live forever. I will establish your house forever. There will never lack a man to sit on your throne. There will never lack a man to sit on your throne. Your throne will live forever. In the near, he's talking of Solomon. In the far and the ultimate, he's talking about Jesus. I believe there was an eruption in the heart of God when he heard this from David. Now we know God would not allow David to build the house. But I believe, we know this, that it was well that this was in David's heart. Corey, why are you talking so much about David? Because I believe that what David touched, I believe that the reformation that's happening, see David was looking for a place. And I believe what the Holy Spirit is doing right now across the earth is he is changing the way that we understand the local church. And I believe that he is beginning to bring, I believe it's bleeding into Mondays and Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays, as we're beginning to see communities revolving around ministry to God. Hear me. I believe the thing that laid hold of David is beginning to lay hold of many of you. When I moved to Kansas City in 2000, this is what I said. God, if you help me with bills, I would love to spend eight hours a day in your presence. That's, that was the dream for my life. And it still is. David got so lost in the heavenly dream, he declared war on the American dream. He said he would not go into the chamber of his house or the comfort of his bed. He wouldn't give sleep to his eyes or slumber to his eyelids until, which means this, when this vow when this longing touches your life to make him a place and to be a part of a community ministering to him, it will mess your sleep life up. It will mess up your dreams of what your retirement will look like. It will mess up your vision of happiness and your definition of comfort. And it will begin to rearrange everything on the inside of you as God begins to inject a virus inside of you. There is a virus that's much stronger than any virus you're hearing about today. Hear me. And the virus is called zeal for your house. Zeal for your house eating me up. It gets me up. It wakes me up. It will make you the song of the drunkards. You will become the offscore and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. He's blowing the whole thing up. 
God is blowing the whole thing up and he's coming back to the center. And he's raising up Davids that get eaten up with the vow, saying, God, I don't, I, I love comforts of America. They're beautiful, but there's something that I want more. I want the comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit. I want the comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit. God, I want to build you a place. God, I want to be in a room when nobody else is. I don't know why it is. I love big conferences. I do a lot of them. I get more excited about Monday mornings at 6 a.m. I'm not playing. I'm not playing. There's something romantic about it. And I believe he wants to lay hold of millennials and Gen Zers with a new, with a new vision. Something so much more than scrolls and 30-second blips and little bits of this and little bits of that, but going on the journey like David for sowing hours and weeks and months and years in boring rooms as you break through boredom into the beautiful man on the other side of your boredom where the Word of God begins to inflame your heart, where the spirit of prayer begins to rest upon you, where the spirit of prophecy begins to touch your eyes and touch your ears and touch your mouth and touch your heart, and you want to linger in a room. Oh, he's delivering us from the audience of thousands, and he's awakening a generation that's getting connected to the audience of one. I believe he's gonna set his hand on some of you. This will be your full-time calling. We think Anna and Simeon are cute older people. It's good, it's cute things you do in retirement years. It's cute in your 80s. It's stupid and foolish in your 20s. I wanna say that there's 20-year-olds, that's what's on your life. There's 20-year-olds like Simeon. There's 20-year-olds like Simeon and Anna. Anna was lost her husband at 24 years old and she made a radical decision. It says she did not depart from the temple, but she served God with fasting and prayer. Are we willing to get behind these Annas in their 20s? Releasing singers. I wanna tell you the power of government Songs, God rules through song. God rules through prayer. I believe he wants to put his hand, some of you, anyway, I, I just lit up. Lord, remember David. Lord, remember David. I believe that the vow that got the promise, God, what he's doing across the earth, I said it earlier, that he's ultimately coming to Jerusalem. Do you know what he's doing right now across the earth? We're in the middle of a great transformation from the understanding of local church. And he's beginning to raise up houses of prayer. He's merging together the spirit of the house of prayer into the local church. He's merging it together. It's gonna look a hundred different ways in a hundred different places. It's not about the model. It's about the burning flame and the heart at the center. God will show you what it looks like for your context. The issue isn't about getting all the details. The issue is getting eaten up with the virus. 
and beginning to find yourself in there before there's a prayer room. Everybody wants to get into infrastructure and how to build things. I tell a young person, get on fire, get a key to the room and make them drag you out of there. Well, nobody will see me in there. It won't make for a good reel on Instagram or TikTok. Spirit of burning will come upon your life. The spirit of burning is coming upon your mind. The spirit of burning is coming upon your heart. He's anointing businessmen and women. King Cyrus, Isaiah 45, opened up the gates of bronze to release the hidden riches of the secret places. See, I believe God's gonna raise up millions of lowercase p places that are going to contend and that we're going to see global incense begin to arise. We're gonna see global worship and prayer begin to arise. Why I love William, there's a harp in his heart. He's a worship leader before he's a pastor. And it's not even about how good of his voice is. He resonates. It's music that resonates in him because our God is a singing God. Spirit of prophecy wants to come upon you. I believe God's gonna raise up millions of lowercase p places that's going to erupt across the earth and, we're, and, we're going, and it's going to culminate with the literal return of the son of David to the planet. And he's going to make his dwelling place in Jerusalem where he will rule forever. We're going to see the greatest evangelism movement move out of the house of prayer the greatest healing movement the earth has ever seen. Matthew 21, Jesus went in, cleansed the temple, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them there. The greatest evangelism, the greatest missions, the greatest move in family, the greatest unity, but it's gonna happen in the context of ministry to God. Because we keep trying to connect dead spirits to dead spirits. It's never gonna happen. You can't build it around whether you like to do that kind of work and are shooting guns or bowling or golfing. You connect people around the flame. I believe he wants to release this virus to you tonight. I believe he wants to lay hold of you with zeal for his house. We're not talking about religious dedication. That'll last two weeks. I don't care about, I don't care about you getting excited and making a vow that will last till next Thursday. I want you to put your pinky toe in a burning passion of God. It's called zeal for your house. Y'all remember John 2, first thing Jesus did, it wasn't hand out business cards in Jerusalem. He came in and he cleansed the temple. And what verse hit the disciples? Zeal for your house has eaten me up. 
Jesus looks like his grandfather. And I believe zeal for his house is eating him up again. And we're about to see the radical transformation of the church into a glorious bride. Let's ask him for the fire. Lord, remember David. Some of you weird kids that are, love your instruments haven't found a place where you fit. God's gonna begin to make a place for a generation to fit. And it's in, God's gonna teach you about ministry to him. Some of you singers, and you just know, you're like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna go to that big city and try to get the record deal and go through all the hoopla. God, I just wanna sing to you. Just open up your hand. I want to ask for that spirit of burning, spirit of prophecy. Fire, 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 fire. Lord, we ask you to release your fire, the spirit of prophecy in this room right now. You laid hold of a young man, and it lasted decades, and it changed history. Lay hold of young people tonight, Jesus. Mark your Davids tonight, Jesus. God, I pray that you would remember what, what you laid hold of him with and that you would lay hold of us, that we would touch the deepest groan in your heart, Jesus. God, I want to I be, be a part of touching your dream. Thank you for answering all my prayers, Jesus. Can I answer yours? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Increase your presence. Increase your presence. Put fire on us. Put fire on our ears. Fire on our hands. Fire on minds right now. There's fire that's burning up the chaff. The, the Lord during worship tonight was doing blood on the mind. Now I think it's fire on the mind. I think he's reintroducing a new paradigm. I believe he's reintroducing and I, and I just feel fire on my mind because he's doing, he's doing a work of fire and he's burning up dead, dead things. Lord told me early on, Corey, if you build my house, I'll build yours. You take care of my deepest dream, I'll take care of yours. And my deepest dream is just for him to be closer. Yeah. Hallelujah. If you sense fire on you in a special way, I want you to stand up. Holy Spirit.
I believe that the house of prayer is our great strategy from heaven of discipling a generation. Come on. your voice and begin to pray in the spirit.
Raise up priest prophets. Raise up priest prophets. Priest prophets. Raise up Zerubbabel's. I want the virus, Jesus. I want zeal for your house. Give me your zeal for your house. Give me your zeal for your house. Give me your zeal. Give me your zeal. Burn me with your zeal. Burn me, Jesus. Come on. Come on. Cry out. Some of y'all, you're gonna sing, you're gonna sing for me. You're gonna play for me.
ask you to use this conference. I ask you to use William and use habitation, Jesus. Let it go viral across the earth to call a generation to Psalm 132. It's his house. You're going to do it, Jesus. I pray anointing. I pray visitation. I pray divine connection. I pray divine doors. Key of David. 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 Open up doors. No man can shut. Shut doors. No man can open. Open and shut. Release it in the name of Jesus. Release it upon William and his family. Release it upon this movement. Release it upon this house in the name of Jesus. prophesy over us for five more minutes. Is that all right? Lift your hands just five more minutes. Come on, don't miss the moment. Don't miss your moment. Lord, we don't just want visitation. We want habitation. We want you to come, Lord. We're crying out, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come on, cry out. Come, Lord Jesus.
this is why we've come. Acts 15 that you're rebuilding the tabernacle of David so God I pray that the key of David fall on upon a generation so lost so fascinated by you I pray worshipers erupt in a way like we've never known God let heaven come earth in a way like we've never known may be pulled down by worshipers we exalt you we honor you I thank you that this is just the beginning of what you're gonna do I pray that as the days go on tomorrow and Saturday God that you increase that you increase that your presence be your sign to us I'm coming to inhabit I'm coming to set up permanent residence among my people, we honor you, we worship you, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we thank Corey? Oh my gosh. Thank you again for listening to the Habitation Podcast. I pray that your life was impacted and most of all, your heart drawn closer to the Lord. Stay up to date with us by going to habitationministries.org where you can follow us, the events we have going on around the world. You can become a financial partner. And most of all, you can partner with us through prayer. And lastly, if you're interested in joining our membership school, please visit schoolofhabitation.org to find out more. For only $50 a month, you can join our worldwide online community and receive live weekly teaching from myself, guest speakers, and other SOH pastors. We will also have online discipleship, Bible reading, and prayer rooms. Be sure to check it out today.